0: Where Paul writes, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. So my title is Walking in Him. Paul uses a transition word here, therefore, and often that transitional word draws our attention to the previous verse or maybe the previous few verses. But in this transition, the word draws our attention to the entire first chapter and the first five verses of this chapter. How do I know that? Because this is the first imperative in the entire letter. There has been no command given in chapter 1 or the first five verses of chapter 2. Not a single imperative mood. This is the first one. Therefore, Based on the supremacy of Christ in redemption, based on the supremacy of Christ in creation, based on the supremacy of Christ in providence, based on the supremacy of Christ as the head of the church which is his body, based on the supremacy of Christ who is and has reconciled us, based on the supremacy of Christ in whom is the treasure chest of all wisdom and knowledge. Therefore, First command, walk ye in Christ. So, this heading, under it are three points this morning. First, what does it mean to walk in Christ? That's verse 6. Secondly, how do we actually do that in this context? Verse 7. Why is it essential and necessary to walk in Christ? Verse 8. So there are three points under this heading, Walking in Christ. First notice what Paul says in verse 6. He says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so. So he has an as and a so. So the way you received Him is so then the way you're going to walk in Him. So Paul could have said, as you received Him, keep on receiving Him. Paul strikes a blow at the heresy that's putting pressure on the church called Gnosticism. Gnosticism can be explained with the illustration of graduating high school. High school is good, whether you think it is or not. High school is necessary. But once you graduate, you have that ceremony where you you, you throw the hat, turn the tassel over, and you've successfully completed... 12 years of education, you know it's time to what? Move on beyond high school. So you go to the next level, or you're encouraged to. The next level, people say you need to go to college. So then you go to the next level and you get a college degree. But then some go on to a higher level. They go get a master's. And then yet some others will go even higher and move beyond high school and get a Ph.D., as you have received Christ, keep walking in the gospel. There are no post-graduate studies for the Christian. None. And the Gnostics were suggesting, high school is good, Jesus is good, he's necessary, but you need to move on to a higher level and we can give it to you. That was the allurement, the beguiling that Paul was concerned about. And what he says in verse 8, Beware lest someone take you captive. Because we all want to move past high school, right? But we never move past the gospel. Ever move past the gospel. Now what does that mean? Say, does that mean every day I need to rehearse and go over the details of the crucifixion of Christ? No. No. It means every day we're receiving the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what is the gospel? The gospel is a person. We have received a person. We don't move past this person. We don't move beyond this person. The other heresy that was knocking on the door at Colossians was the Jewish heresy, which was just the opposite. It was going back to preschool. Going back to the age of adolescence, the Mosaic age, which Paul says in Galatians 4, was a period of immaturity, being under governors and tutors like an adolescent, which is governed by adults. They wanted to go back to rules and regulations, back to the Sabbaths, the new moons, meat and drink, for which Paul says, let no man judge you with regard to those things. Why? Why? You've received all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We don't go to postgraduate studies and we don't go back to the age of adolescence called the Mosaic Age with rules and regulations. Where then do we go, beloved, when we walk in Him? We go to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't progress past the gospel. John 1 16, that was just read. And of His fullness, the word is ek. Out of His fullness have all we received. Aorist tense, which means at a point in time in your past, when you were converted, you received out of fullness. We've all done that. Who has received that? He came into His own, His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power or the right to become the sons of God, even those who believe on His name. Out of His fullness, we the believers have received what? Grace for grace. What does that mean? First, it means you don't go on to get a master's or a Ph.D. What you received out of that fullness, you keep on receiving like grace upon grace. If you've ever been to the beach and gone to the waves, you know there's a day and time where you're out there about chest high and the waves are kind of, hmm. You know, the waves come in you just kind of lift up and Lift up again and no big deal. But other times, the waves are high and big. And you see the wave coming and you position yourself in such a way that you're going to ride the wave all the way to the shore. And then you come crashing on the shore and you look up and there's another wave right after it. And then you ride that wave. And you look up and there's another wave right after it. And you ride that wave. Out of His fullness, we receive waves of grace, waves of grace out of the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel is God. Mothers, do you need waves of grace daily for the strength it requires for you to be a mother? In a culture which is antagonistic against the whole idea of motherhood, where are you going to get that? From the gospel. From the gospel. You're not going to go past the gospel. You're going to walk in the gospel and get the strength you need and the grace. Brothers, how are you going to be a loving husband? A godly husband? To lead your family spiritually. Are you going to go on and get a master's? No, you're going to out of his fullness receive the wave of grace. Young people, how are you going to stand against the temptations in our society that are pummeling us every day. They're just coming into our phones, into our life, into our ears, into our minds. You're going to need grace. You're going to need the gospel. You don't go past the gospel. You're going to need waves and waves as you position yourself with a walk with Christ in such a way that waves of grace come over your soul. And then what about waves of forgiveness? What happens when you fail? Mothers, fathers, children. What happens when you fall to a temptation? You're going to need the grace of forgiveness and the grace of repentance. Where is all this coming from? Out of His fullness have all we received waves and waves of grace from the gospel. Nowhere else. Now here's the problem. Somebody says, I want to be a godly husband. I want to be a godly spouse. So, what they do is go out to the garden shed and start getting the tools of self help, self advancement, and self improvement, and they get to work. You will get nowhere that way. What did you do? You just went to the postgraduate studies of self help. The Gnostic way was self wisdom, self knowledge, self made religion, and so was the Jewish heresy. How often do we, in our relationships, go out to the garden shed, pick up the tools, we get our axe, we get our shovel, we get our hoe, we get our rake, and we start doing the work. If somebody says to me, what do I do to be a godly husband? I'm going to say, go to the gospel. Brother, go to the gospel. Don't do anything yet. Don't work, work, work. Receive, receive, receive out of His fullness. And then what will happen? Love will start dripping out of your life. The problem is, we as Christians so often go past the gospel. Past his fullness. Where is Paul going in in chapter 2? Because, verse 9, Because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. So what we need to do every day is position ourselves in such a way under the gospel that when the great waves of grace come only through the gospel, through the person of Christ, we are receiving grace upon grace to be godly, to have a godly marriage, to resist temptation, to be forgiven, to have repentance. And every spirit of grace that we find in the Bible comes one way alone through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. This was the problem at the churches of Galatia. They have gone on to take postgraduate studies, which was really preschool studies, because they're going back to the age of adolescence with circumcision and the law and the rules and the regulation, and he thought they were advancing. What does Paul say? In the, in the first part of the book, he says this in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into The grace of Christ unto another gospel called you into waves upon waves upon waves of grace, the grace of Christ, and you've left the beach and you've gone to the garden shed and you've picked up your tools and now you're starting to advance in postgraduate studies or you're starting to go back to preschool. Now, what did they leave to go to another gospel? They left the gospel. And what is the gospel in verse 6? It is Him. It is Him. It is Him. I I marvel that you've removed from Him that called you. And you've been moved to another gospel, which means you've left the gospel, which means you've left Him. So, when Paul gets to chapter 3, when he's going to tell you how to be a wife, how to be a husband, how to be a servant, how how to be a family, what's the first thing he's going to say? Put on, therefore. What am I putting on? The verse preceding it where Christ is all and Christ is in all, put on, therefore, Christ. Put on the gospel. Don't leave the gospel. Don't pick up your tools. Don't do anything. Don't do any work whatsoever. Receive Him. Receive Him. Receive Him. And then what happens? You'll start walking. Walking here is just synonymous with receiving. Receive Christ. And then what happens? All the relationships start to fall in place. There'll still be the grace of forgiveness needed. There'll still be the grace of repentance, right? Because we're still sinners. But now what's happening Of all all things, we're putting on love. Love starts oozing out then, little by little. Why? Because we're receiving fullness, we're receiving grace, and we're walking in the gospel, in Him. So beloved, go back to the gospel. Go back to high school and stay there and never graduate because you are not allowed postgraduate studies as a Christian. Because... How can you progress past fullness? Can somebody please explain how you can get past infinite fullness? In Christ you have a treasure chest of all wisdom and all knowledge and you're complete in Him. So as you received Him, the whole Christ, now walk in Him. Walk in Him. What else does it mean to walk in Christ? The metaphor for walking is found throughout Scripture. Paul uses it many, many times. It's a Hebrew idiom which first expresses action, right? When you walk you're going to be active. You're going to pick up your feet, swing your hands, you're going to move. You're going to be active. Action, activity, or act. You know The the root word in all those action words is to act. So to walk with Christ, to be in union with Christ by faith means we're going to start acting like Christ. As His fullness begins to take shape, as it influences us what happens we start acting like him little by little first John 2 6 he that saith he abideth in him ought also so himself to walk even as he walked to abide in him is what that's to walk with him that's to live in Christ that's to be in Christ that is to be in union by faith with the son of God what's the impact We also ought ourselves to walk just like He walked. And what would that be? He walked in love. He walked in kindness. He was compassionate. He was long suffering. He was patient. He was forbearing. He was forgiving. When we are walking in Christ, we're not reaching perfection, but out of His fullness and that union with fullness, we start acting more like Him. So to walk in Him means to be more conformed. That, that's the word we use often as Christians. And we turn to chapter 3. What is that conformity? Bows of compassion, kindness, long-suffering, patience, meekness, forgiveness, forbearing, and above all, love. That's a picture of Christ, isn't it? To walk with Him is to be active as we receive more and more of the waves of His fullness, right? The seashore receives the waves out of the fullness of the ocean. The branch receives the sap out of the fullness of the vine, right? The air receives the light out of the fullness of the sun and the Christian receives grace out of the fullness of Christ and it begins to take the shape of Christ. The aroma of Christ begins to slowly work itself out in your life. Secondly, to walk is a metaphor that means progression. We are progressively active. We move from one location to the other. There's movement. There is progression. So Paul's prayer in this book in chapter, chapter 1 and verse He would say, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So a worthy walk is one that pleases God, and without faith it's impossible to please Him. So a walk that's worthy of God is a walk that is trusting Him, being in union with Christ, and then is being fruitful in every good work, that is when love is laced In every work you do, it reveals the worth of God because you're trusting Him and that faith is producing love. A good deed done without faith in Christ that has no love in it is just simply a deed, man-centered. But a deed done for the glory of God by faith in Him that is expressing the worth of God is a work that is fruitful because it has love in it. Love for God and love for one another. And then what does Paul say? increasing this walk is progressing it's moving it's increasing little by little over time over the years it's increasing that's the metaphor of walking with Christ also and lastly under this heading it's habitual when you walk it's a habitual thing it's regular it's routine it's Every day, you, you wake up, the first thing you do is walk. I mean, when you get out of the bed. Unless your legs are impaired or there's some, something wrong, you're, you're going to walk. The last thing you do in the evening, you're going to walk back to the bed and drop in it. And all throughout the day, you're walking. It's habitual. A habit is a settled or regular tendency or practice. Especially one that's hard to give up. What do you do habitually? That you could put your finger on and say, yeah, that's, that's so regular, such a part of my life daily, it would be hard to give up. I'll go first. A cup of coffee is a hard thing for me to give up. I mean, I'm mean, i sorry, I like it. it. It does things for my body to get me going. Most people that know me say, I'm, I'm, I like coffee. That would be hard to give up. What is in your life that you could put your finger on and say, if I had to give that up, that would be hard. Now let me ask you this. Is it hard for you to give up walking with Christ? Or have you already done so? Is walking with Christ a spiritual habit that is part of every day of your life? I know there are days where you may get to the next day and say, oh, I didn't pray, I didn't get time to read, and you you feel bad about it, you want to correct that? I understand that. We're still sinners. But is Christ so habitual in your life that if He were not to walk with you, that'd be a very, very hard thing to do? Or has it become so easy, some of you now have stopped walking with Christ and it produces no pain? Walking is a, an active, progressive, regular, daily, continuous, habitual experience. For some of you, you're finding it hard to get started. Maybe you've never even started walking with Christ. For some of you, you need to come back. This is so essential. Somebody asked me, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means to walk with Him. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means out of its fullness to keep receiving the gospel. That's Christianity 101. That's not elitism. That's high school. We stay there. So if you're having a hard time starting, beloved, just take baby steps. Just just shuffle a little bit and just get started. Right? Just start moving on the pathway with Christ. He's so kind and loving and gentle. He'll receive you. He doesn't have a hammer behind his back. He's not going to upbraid you when you ask. He's going to receive you if you come by faith. So just start slowly, little by little, and see if it's not like walking. You start to progress, and you start to move forward. But you've got to make the starting point. You've got to make the first step. You've got to start walking with Christ. So this is what it means then to walk with Christ, and the metaphor Paul is using and how we're to receive out of His fullness. Now the question is, how does that happen? Well, Paul is going to tell us in verse 7. So let's get verse 6 again. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk, keep on walking, in Him rooted. Now here's how it happens. Rooted and built up in Him. See, No graduate courses here. Still in Him. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding Therein with thanksgiving. Beware. We'll make that connection on the third point. How in this context does Paul want us, the church of Colossae, to keep walking? What's amazing here is Paul now chooses four passive verbs. After saying, be active, here's a command, you walk, you do this. Now he says, okay, be passive. Passive. Rooted passive, built up passive, established passive, taught passive, which means somebody else did the teaching. What are we to make of this? Beloved, in God's economy of grace, we are to be passive activists. A passive activist. A passive person, someone just lets it happen. You know, An activist is going to, Make it happen. You know, they're going to they're gonna campaign. They're going to get the vote out. They're going to be politically active. Or a pacifist says, don't. Just hold tight. Sit still. If I were to illustrate a sta- statement as a Christian, we should think in this terms to be a passive activist, it would be this. Lord, I am yours. Do what seemeth good unto me. All right, passive. You do it, Lord. It requires your grace. Do whatever is your pleasure toward me. You do it, Lord. You're passive. He's active. Now here's the activity. Lord, I am yours. Doesn't sound too active, does it? It's the first step of activity we must have. Possession. Lord, I'm yours. I surrender everything. To you. There's your activity. If Christ is to be the fullness, you have to surrender everything to the fullness of the gospel. Have you surrendered all to Jesus Christ? All to Him we are to surrender. To surrender is to not get in the way of it, it's not to prevent it. In Colossians 3.16, to let the Word of Christ dwell in you is to let it happen. Don't get in the way of it. Let it shape you. Let it mold you. Let it influence you. Don't prevent it. Don't get in the way. Surrender to the Word of Christ. Surrender to the Word of God. As Fanny Crosby wrote, take my life and let it be. Consecrate it, Lord, to Thee. Take it. That's your activity, Lord. I get out of the way. I'm yours. Do with me what you will. I surrender. Or as George Matheson wrote back in the 1800s, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. George Matheson at the age of 20 went blind. His fiancée decided she didn't want to live with a blind man. She left him. His sister learned Latin, Greek, and Hebrew to help him in his studies and wrote out his sermons for several years as he dictated them to her. And then came the day she got married. She was moving on. Matheson, in a flood of grief, in five minutes he wrote the words of this song. And what did he say? I give thee back the life I owe. I surrender in my blindness. I surrender in the fiancé that left me. I surrender that now in your providence my sister must go away. I surrender all. Why? That in thine ocean depths its flow. What's the antecedent? Not his life, but the love of God. In that surrender, the ocean depths of the love of God will flow more richer, more fuller into your life as you surrender all to Jesus Christ. That's why that therefore is there in verse 6. And the first command is long after. Because we're receiving fullness of the gospel. And then we walk and our passivity is that now God... The fullness of your grace must keep coming like waves upon waves upon waves, and it will. And my only response is to open my mouth and receive it. Open my mouth and get out of the way and surrender to the supremacy of Christ's fullness and let that ocean flow of love come little by little as the waves come in from the fullness of the ocean. And what do you experience? Grace upon grace, upon grace. And we put our tools back into the shed. And we rest in the gospel. So let's look at some of these words. First he says, rooted. That is a perfect passive. So Paul now is thinking about conversion. When God rooted you, where? In Christ. So why and how can you walk in Christ? You must be rooted. God has done that if you're a believer. He's united you to Christ. Rooted. To strike roots. But with the perfect tense, you remember there's always an ongoing result. What is that? Being built. That's a present tense. Rooted is a perfect tense. You don't do that anymore. That's a one-time event. But the ongoing result of having been rooted is being built. What does it mean to walk in Christ? Having been rooted, now you're being built. Out of His fullness, you're being built. The only other place that Paul uses this exact Greek word is in Ephesians chapter 3, which similar setting, similar idea that Paul is conveying in that letter. Remember, in Ephesians he's writing about the body of the head, Christ. Colossians, he's writing about the head of the body. And so there's a lot of similarity. So in Ephesians chapter 3, he uses this word when he prays that God would grant them according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with all might according to His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith so that you, having been rooted, having been grounded in love, might be able. Ephesians, having been rooted in love, Colossians, having been rooted in Him. Same tense, same voice. Same Greek verb. What's the difference? You have been once for all rooted in His love. You have been once for all rooted in Him. How do those coincide? Well, in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3... When Christ is dwelling in our hearts by faith, having been rooted in love, we're then enabled to know what? The dimensions of His love. How deep, how wide, how high, how broad are they? And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, and here's our similar wording here, that we might be filled with all the fullness of, of God, Who is that? Christ Jesus your Lord. How does having been rooted in love do that? Because when Christ dwells in our hearts, it's the love of God. When we're walking with Him, that is filling and flooding our souls. So that then we are going to know something about the experience of Christ's love and the gospel. And what is that experience? It's the experience of delight in His love. We delight in the love of God. So we experience Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. Faith is reaching up into heaven and receiving the love of God because we've been rooted, we've been grounded in Christ and out of that love that comes from God, what happens? We're walking in love. We're walking in love. And so to be rooted in Christ is to be rooted in the love of God because the love of God is what grabs the root system and holds us tight. When a tree is toppled in a storm from the roots, we see a lot of trees broken, the branches, but that's not the same, is it? When the tree is toppled from the roots, did the root let go of the earth or the earth let go of the root? You debate that one. I would say that the earth let go of the roots. Now whether that's right or not, here, the love of God for which you've been rooted in, which is Christ Jesus, the gospel, will not let the roots go. Oh love that will not let me go. The fullness of Christ is hanging on to every root of your faith and he will not let it go. What is our experience of that union of Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith and God holding on to our roots? Out of the sap, out of the fullness of the earth, the sap supplies the root system and we're being built up. That's the relationship of having been rooted and being built up. See, How do I know I've been rooted? Faith is being built up. Faith is producing fruit. Faith is producing a more loving person, little by little over the years. You see this in Isaiah 61, an Old Testament prophecy concerning the coming of Christ, where he says in Isaiah 61, Jesus in Luke 4 read this passage and said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Closed the book and sat down. And then they tried to kill him. What did he read? The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He hath anointed me to preach the gospel, or the good tidings to the meek, the humble, the poor, the afflicted. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted, to heal the wounded. Now the word "wounded" gets a lot of traction in our culture today. This is not, you know, sometimes you see an advertisement, a church sign says, "Come here if you've been wounded. Like, we'll heal your wounds." Implies that maybe another church wounded you. Well, in Isaiah 61, the wound is your sin. He came to heal the brokenhearted who are mourning over their own sin. He came to preach deliverance to the captives and the opening of the prison to those that are bound. In Luke 4, he adds, the recovering of sight to them that are blind. What recovers sight? What opens the prison doors? What delivers the captives? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it alone. When Jesus said, this day is this scripture fulfilled, He said, I am the gospel. I'm it. Because who's going to heal us? Who's going to open the prison doors? Who's going to rescue us? It is Jesus Christ and His fullness. Then He said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all them that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the spirit of praise for the garment, or praise for the spirit of heaviness. Why? That they might be called trees of righteousness, planted, rooted, that God may be glorified. Who plants the tree? Who roots the the Christian, God. Jesus said, Every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Why? Because they're not rooted in the deep soil of the love of God by faith. They're just on the surface. you ever seen uprooted tree? One thing you'll notice is that the roots are not very deep. The false teachers in Jude... Trees whose fruit withereth, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Why? The false teacher's roots were not embedded in the love of God walking with Jesus. So God plants the tree of righteousness in order to magnify and glorify His name. How do trees of righteousness that are planted by the Lord give Him glory? Through beauty, joy, and praise. By the gospel, a headdress, beauty for ashes, ashes of mourning and repentance, the oil of joy, and the garment of praise. And in that context, you'll find the clothing of righteousness and salvation. God is magnified in the trees He's planted. When the trees of righteousness produce the fruit of righteousness, out of being rooted. In joy and praise and honor to God through Christ. That will then lead to the next way we walk in Christ, being built up. Okay, having been rooted, being built up. This word speaks of an edifice, a house that's being built up from the foundation. So walking with Christ, we've been rooting in Him, rooted in Him, and now walking with Christ, we don't leave Him. We're being built up. Jude will use this word, and I'll give you a couple places where it's used to get a a more fuller picture of what Paul is saying here. Jude verse 20, he would say, But, beloved, you building yourselves up on your most holy faith, same word, building, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of Jesus Christ. All right. To keep means to guard, to stay in a state or condition that you're presently in. What is the condition you're in as a believer? You're in the love of God because you've received the love of God in Christ. Okay. How do you stay in that condition? having been rooted in God's love, Ephesians 3, or in Christ, synonymous? How do you stay in a condition of having been attached to the love of God for which He's attached you? You build. What happens if you stop building? The soil starts to loosen. Right. What happened to the to the false teachers in Jude, who were twice dead, plucked up by the roots. And were not to be concerned that somehow they were rooted and uprooted. They weren't in the love of God. They didn't love God. They just loved the money and the profit, whatever they could get out of being a teacher. So Jude says, They are those that separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, but you all which have the Spirit build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Now there's a debate whether that's your faith or the faith once delivered to the saints. Both are not true, but I'm not going to debate them now, but to say both can be true. Because Jude starts out by saying, contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. That's the body of truth, which is the gospel, and the person of God that's been reflected in all of the Bible. Build yourselves on that faith, and you'll be building yourselves up in the faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. When we walk with Christ, we're praying to God through Christ. We're habitually praying. We're going to God again and again. Say, God, I need the wave of grace today. And you said you would give it to me. You promised me. I need it. And then it comes. God loves it. When we out of emptiness and bankruptcy call on His name, ask Him, Receive His love, receive His strength, receive His Word. So building, praying, keep. That's imperative move. How do we do that? We build ourselves up in the love of God. Are you building today? Are you walking? Are you moving with Christ? Are you having fellowship with Him? Are you drawing from Him out of the fullness of who He is, measures of grace every day. And then look back at the ocean. You ever done that? Just say, Where does it end? As far as the human eye, you can't see it. So we drink in the waves of grace. We look back and say, there's a fullness of ocean depth to keep flowing to me and through me. How does it flow through me? Build yourselves up on your faith, the Word of God, and in your faith and you're building yourselves up in the love of God for you and that stabilizes you. It'll stabilize your marriage, your family, it'll stabilize you like a tree, like an oak tree. An oak tree is a slow grower. Sometimes the acorns don't appear for years, but it's solid, it's stable, it's growing. The next verse is in Acts 20:32. Where Paul is about to leave the elders and bishops of Ephesus, and not see their face anymore. So he's going to leave parting words, and he warns them against the false teachers that he had with tears for three years, night and day, warned them that they would rise up among you and rise and come in to speak perverted words to draw away disciples after them. Those perverted words that are misleadingly attractive, right within Christianity. So as Paul is about to depart, they're going to weep most of all, because they'll see Paul's face no more. They loved Paul deeply. And Paul says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those which are sanctified. I coveted no man's gold, silver, or clothing. Right? What is the word of grace in that passage? I commend you, I deposit, I entrust you to God. The apostles leaving which was giving them the inspired word. Now I'm entrusting you into the care and protection of God. How do we come under the care and protection of God? When you deposit your money into the bank, you're essentially saying, I'm giving you my money, I want you to take care and protect it. I want you to do whatever you do to, to preserve it. How did Paul expect Entrusting them to God would work itself out and to the word of his grace. Do you see that? Those are not two different things. Those are synonymous. If I entrust you to God, I'm going to entrust you to the word of the waves of his grace. What are you going to do with that? Which is able to build you up. Having been rooted, how are we walking in Christ? We're being built up because out of his fullness, it's flowing. The ocean depth is coming. Sometimes it trickles. Sometimes it comes more fervently. But it's coming by faith in Christ. So it's able to build you up and it's able to give you an inheritance among all those which are sanctified. How does the word of grace give you an inheritance? I thought Jesus did that. Well, He does. Because by being entrusted to God in the word of His grace, by being built up, we're being preserved all the way till we reach the ocean of fullness called heaven's shores. Building is a means of preservation. So the Word of God is able to bring you to the inheritance because you're going to keep trusting it and going to it in your walk with Christ. How often are you going to the Word of God's gracious love for you? How delighted are you in God's love for you? His love that will never let you go. How thankful, how appreciative are we? Should we not go to the word of His grace as we've been entrusted to God in His word so that we're being built up and it's going to bring us to inheritance and it's going to keep us then from likely falling to attractively misleading information in college, in the workplace, or right there on our phones? Brother, this is where we have to ask ourselves, do we really believe God? Are we just going to take Him at His word? Are we going to walk out of here again and say, well, that's pretty good stuff, yeah, interesting. Is it going to transform us so that we're being built up? Because we're going to the place of God's love letter. You ever like to go back and read your love letters? I guess you'd have to look on your email for some of you guys this day. It just gives you a good feeling. This is God's love letter to you. It's able to build you up because you've been rooted. If you're walking with Christ, it's going to build you up. It's going to give you an inheritance by bringing you there. And then Paul gives an example in his own life. What does he say? I have coveted no man's gold, silver, or clothing. What is the result of being entrusted to God's care and the word of His grace that builds you up? What does this building up do to bring you to the inheritance? I have not coveted a man's gold, silver, and clothing. Why does Paul say that there? But you know what the false prophets did? Coveted gold, silver, and clothing. You know why they did? They had not been rooted in Him or in the love of Christ, and they were not being built up, so they were driven. They had their hearts set. This is what the word covet means there. To turn and have your heart set on gold, silver, and apparel. Now let me ask you, What is going to have the power to keep you from coveting things that we covet, like gold, silver, and nice clothing? Does anybody not want that stuff? It's by being built up and walking with Jesus. The only answer is walking in the gospel. Don't go past. Don't get a postgraduate study. Stay in Christ, having been rooted, and by faith, being built up, and then what happens? What's the opposite of covetousness? Contentment. Or what does Paul say in Colossians 3.1 when he makes a transition out of chapter 2 to chapter 3? If you then be risen with Christ, set your affection, set your heart, not on those things, but on Him, and put to death what? Covetousness, which is idolatry. How can I possibly put it to death when it still can sometimes grab a hold of my heart? I'm risen, I'm dead to sin, I'm in Christ, I'm united. What do I need to do? Walk. Walk with Him. Is that a drudgery? Is that painful? Is He going to be harsh? Is He going to be mean spirited? No, He loves you. And He invites you to come. So come. Come to Jesus and experience the love that brings contentment. And then lastly, Then you're being stable. What's producing the stability? Walking, receiving out of that fullness, not passing, not going forward. Walking out of that fullness, having been rooted by faith, we're being built up, we're delighting in the love of God, little by little, and then what? Now we're stabilized. The tree's roots are going deep into the delight and love and joy of who Jesus is because we're going to the Word and we're walking with Him. Somebody says, well, I don't know if I experienced that. Are you walking with Him? If we stop walking, all that stuff goes, right? We're we're being stable, we're being rooted, we're established in the faith as we've been taught. What What were we taught? The fullness of Christ. We're not teaching something else. We're not going to some elite knowledge, some secret hidden knowledge. We're staying with what we taught. We're staying with what we heard. And we keep hearing about this fullness of Christ in the Bible, and we're becoming stable trees, trees of righteousness, and then what? Abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now that seems like an odd place to put thanksgiving. So now I want to use the word thanksgiving to transition to the last point, which will be brief. Why is it essential to walk in Christ? Beware. 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 My soul be on thy guard. Ten thousand foes arise to draw me away. So I can't remember the rest of the psalm, but it's to draw me away from the skies. So, is, is the point of the verse. There are ten thousand foes that are trying to draw your soul away from the skies, away from the ascended Christ, away from walking with Jesus. 10,000 are trying and vying. What does Thanksgiving have to do with that? <clears throat> what is the mark of a thankful person? They're satisfied, right? Right? always satisfied, always content. We guard our souls by walking with Christ and out of His fullness we have no complaints. No complaints. Now what is a grumbler versus a person of gratitude? A grumbler is someone who is what? Dissatisfied. A thanksgiving person is yeah, I'm okay. The Lord is good. No matter what the circumstances. And every thing give thanks. For all things give thanks. Because the fullness of God is always coming to meet my needs. And if I'm being thankful now, I'm being beware. lest someone take you captive. The Gnostics cannot take the church captive that are satisfied and content in giving thanks. But the grumbler is easy prey. I have read that human traffickers prey on dissatisfied people. They've got complaints against their parents. They've got complaints against everybody. And they quickly move in on the internet. Why? Because that's an easy draw. You're dissatisfied? We've got something that can satisfy. But the thankful person says what? No, I'm not dissatisfied. What do I have to complain about? Christ." loves me and gave himself for me. I have his word, I have the spirit, I have him. I've got no complaints. Ten thousand foes be gone. See, thanksgiving is the fruit of walking with Christ and being content with Christ in such a way that we are far less likely, less likely, to be carried away like spoils, carried away in a victory of a battle. You just scoop them up and take them right to a foreign land. So, beloved, it's essential that we walk in Christ or we will be carried away captive, not only by philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world, but after all kinds of things, rather than according to Christ. Because, Paul, why? In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and He is the gospel. And you, believer, you're complete. Now if your house is complete, and your furnishings is complete, and your pantry is complete, and your car is complete, and everything's complete, then you're thankful. And that's what you have in Christ. No matter what the circumstances, good or bad, harmful, sorrowful, you have all in the fullness of Christ. May we by faith position ourselves under the waves of grace that we experience more progressively of the grace of of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved you and gave himself for you. Why? That you would walk with him. He wants you to walk with him. He said, I gave my life for you, so you could walk and experience my joy of the love of the Father. Won't you come today and start walking with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you, Lord. You're a great God when we begin to even think about the meaning of Your fullness in Christ dwelling in us, it boggles our minds. Forgive us, Lord, of our complaining and grumbling attitudes. We are all guilty, more or less. We all struggle with the words that come quickly out of our mouths expressing a heart that is not content and not at peace. So, Lord, we ask You, we've received You, By faith, and now we ask you to give us the grace to walk in the gospel. Lord, forgive us for trying to get the tools out and to advance and to move ahead and to use the self help methods of the world of improvement. May we reject them with all that we have within us and may we come back to walking with you, walking in your fullness, in your joy, in your love, and may we out of that walk even as you walk. Fill us more with your love, more of your peace and grace and joy so that we may bear more of the fruit of the Spirit and you would get glory out of trees of righteousness, the trees that you've planted, you've rooted, and that you would be magnified, exalted in a culture that needs to know the love of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.